This is All the Cool Parts number 15 for July 15th, 2010. everybody, welcome to All the Cool Parts number 15. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman. And on this week's podcast, along with our illustrious co-host, Dr. Jonathan Culp, we are going to present the Naxos release of classical guitarist Dennis Azabajic. bit about the guitarist Dennis Azabajic. Uh, he was born November 14th, 1972 in Bosnia, and um, he is really uh, one of the major sort of concertizing classical classical guitarists uh, right now. He plays uh, mini solo recitals along with chamber music recitals with his wife, who is a flutist in their duo. It's called the Cavatina Duo. Um, and, uh, actually on a side note, uh, I can't remember if I mentioned this when I was talking to John, but they actually have a new album out, uh, all Pete solo music. So you might want to check that out. I haven't heard it, but I'm sure it's great. Um, he, let's see, between 1992 and 1999, he won 24 prizes in international competitions of which 11 were first prizes. So that's pretty incredible. Um, he's been featured soloist, uh, soloist, excuse me, with many symphonies and, uh, around the world in many music festivals, guitar festivals, all that kind of stuff. And he currently resides in Chicago and teaches at Roosevelt University. So, uh, if you are in the Chicago area, I would highly recommend looking out for concerts, uh, from Dennis. Uh, so without further ado, let's just get to my discussion with our good friend Jonathan Culp, and uh, we can get to listening to some of this uh, great playing from this CD released on Naxos Laureate series. All the Cool Parts listeners, we are here again with our good friend, uh, Dr. Jonathan Culp, for uh, this number two episode of... Uh, uh, this laureate series that we're doing. Welcome back, John. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. And yeah, we're glad to have you. Um, so this time we're doing, uh, now all these CDs to, to sort of reprise what we're doing here. Uh, all these CDs are on the Naxos classical label and, um, it's a special series that they do called the laureate series where, they take a uh, a young up and coming performer who's usually just won some kind of competition 
and uh, they let them record their own CD. And this time we're doing classical guitarist Dennis Azabajic, uh, who won the Guitar Foundation of America International Guitar Competition in 1998 and was awarded this Naxos Prize as part of his first place prize. Um, so, yeah, so uh, just like last time, John and I, you know, picked excerpts and um, we're going to talk about this um, this really uh, great CD. I, I don't know. I, I, I love this CD. I think uh, Dennis is an awesome player. And... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, I would uh, totally agree. the The playing is superb, and also the program is very well chosen. And so, uh, it's it's a great one. Looking yeah. forward to doing this. Yeah, and uh, we we kind of you know we talked a lot about this um, series on the last show that we did, uh, so we don't have to go too much into that. But one thing I didn't mention last time that I wanted to mention this time is um, that. You know, a lot of times if a performer was given this kind of opportunity by a major label of some kind, um, a lot of times they would say, okay, you know, you won this prize, uh, you're going to record this CD for us, we need you to record, uh, you know, this, this, and this, we need you to record a CD of Bach, or we need you to record a CD mm-hmm. of Ponce, they don't do that, they... um they're they, not trying to fill holes in their catalog. No, no, yeah. they they leave it completely up to the performer. The performer gets to choose what everything that they're going to record on the CD is completely up to them, um, which is... It's lucky for me because else I might never have appeared on one of these uh, CDs <laughs> because Steve chose to put my stuff on there. Yeah, yeah, Um that's a great point. I mean, lucky for you, lucky for uh, Carlos Rivera, which we'll talk about him um, towards the end of the show, um, which uh, Dennis recorded uh, his piece. He, he's another, you know, he was another up-and-coming com- composer, mm-hmm. just like you, John, who uh, mm-hmm. who got his piece on this CD because yeah. of this um, <clears throat> creative license that uh, Naxos has given to these young players so uh, that's you know i just i I can't say enough about this cd series and about naxos and the you know opportunity they're giving these young performers is just is just really awesome it's excellent now have you ever um heard dennis perform in person i can't recall if i have or not i seem to have gone to a recital of his in austin when we're there but i don't recall for sure Hmm. no i've never seen him in person um so I, I, you know, I endeavor to at some point, but it actually, you know, there was a, just on a side note, um, and I'm not totally sure if it's still available. If it's not still available, I'm sorry, but um, I know about a year ago, uh, he has a duo with his wife, who's a flutist. They're called mm-hmm. the uh, Cavatina duo, I, th- I believe. And um, they had a f- concert that they recorded a live concert on iTunes for free. So you can actually go to iTunes and download this. Yeah. Download this entire concert, uh, which is a fantastic concert. Great recording for nothing. So, yeah, they may put it on YouTube also, I guess. uh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure they have stuff on YouTube. I have not looked, but, um, anyhow. 
Yeah. Can, I'm can sure you... it's great. It's hard to remember because, I, you know, in Austin, every year Austin got the um, GFA winner almost without fail. And I went to just about every recital, but I can't really remember if I went to Dennis's uh, concert or not. So I feel bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many great guitarists that came through there. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm sure he, yeah, I'm sure he had to have come through there. And uh, I was in Austin too at that time and I didn't mm-hmm. see him. So sorry, Dennis, we skipped your concert to <laughs> evidently, um, you know, go to Trudy's and have a Mexican margarita. I don't know there what we, we did. Yeah, I don't. Maybe he didn't come. I I just don't recall. Maybe yeah. Have, maybe he didn't. But yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, so this CD, um, like we said, uh, Dennis Azabajic, and um, he um, I believe is living and teaching in Chicago, the Chicago area, right now. And um, I just mentioned his duo that he has with his wife. I think they just came out with a brand new CD. So you guys might all go check that out. Uh, I think it's like all Astor Piazzolla music. So haven't heard it, but uh, I'm sure it's probably really, really great. So. uh, Sorry, I'm doing a quick search on uh, Google here to see. Um, Is it? Is he at Roosevelt or is he, what school is he teaching at? I am not totally sure. I didn't do my homework there. That's bad. See the thing. This is why we need an IRC channel for the show. Uh, so people can give us live feedback. <laughs> <laughs> On Linux Outlaws, you can cut this out later. On Linux Outlaws, there's this IRC channel where people are just chatting away while the hosts are doing the show. And if they ever can't think of anything, there's somebody in the IRC who knows the answer. And they uh, just... Um, now let's see. No, I uh, won't cut that out. I don't have any problem giving a okay. <laughs> cool podcast a shout out. Uh, let's see. Yeah, okay. He teaches at Roosevelt University in Chicago. There was a guy uh, who did his PhD in theory at Texas who I think also teaches there, or at least he used to, and named uh, William Hussey. So shout out to him too. Represent. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh, let's get. I guess we can get started with this um, with this CD and start uh, yeah. playing some excerpts and talk about some excerpts. Um, as a, on a totally unrelated, can you hear that heavy machinery, or can I just? I can. It? Yeah. Okay. I can so hear it. This is continuing. It's... We're continuing a great tradition, I guess. Here with John. <laughs> last, last time it was time, lawnmowers. Yeah, last time it was lawnmowers and weed whackers outside my window, and now it's heavy machinery across the street. So. It's not nearly as obnoxious as the lawnmowers were, so hopefully the lawnmowers don't chime in here uh, during the recording. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hope so. Let's hope. Um, okay, so we'll start um, just going down uh, the excerpts that we chose just right in order of the CD. So we're going to start with uh, the Sonatina by Federico Moreno Toroba, and uh, these excerpts were uh, chosen by John. But I'll give a little bit of background information on Taroba. Um, he was born March 3rd, 1891, died September 12th, 1982. Um, so he was able to lead a long and happy life. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born in Madrid, uh, had a long career as a conductor of operas. And um, 
uh, another Zarzuelas too, right? Yes, Zarzuelas. Yeah. Thank you very much for yeah. uh, for that word. I had lost it, <laughs> <laughs> which was uh, kind of a Spanish uh, musical drama. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, uh, but he's really, I think, kind of best known for his guitar compos- compositions um, these days. Yeah, well, guitarists have kind of uh, taken hold of his music. He wrote so much for the guitar, even though he was not himself a guitarist. And it was so much music of such high quality that uh, guitarists have immediately put it in the like core repertoire for the instrument. And so uh, he's he's really best known for that. He has other stuff, too, but it's not performed nearly as much as his guitar music is. It's It's really wonderful stuff. It's um, melodious. It's beautiful, um, really, really friendly uh, for the audience to listen to. Yeah, and Azabajic has kind of almost made this CD a Sonata CD. It's not quite. They're not all Sonatas, but a lot of these pieces that he chose on this CD are Sonatas. So this one, um, the Sonata Meridional of uh, Ponce, Mm -hmm. the Jose Sonata... um, you know, it's it's just kind of nice right. to see these sort of uh, big meaty pieces on uh, exactly on this CD. Okay, so we'll start with the first movement, uh, an excerpt from the first movement, the Allegretto movement. And um, for me, uh, I really what stand what uh, comes out immediately for me in this recording is uh, Azabajik's really clear sense of separation of melody and accompaniment. And um, I love his tone that he gets. Um, The trebles are like crystal clear, almost bell-like sound. Um, And the basses, the accompaniment are almost... uh, It's almost like he gets these two different tones for for the melody and the accompaniment, and it just... Mm-hmm. makes them stand out and separate so clearly. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's and uh he's got the right spirit for the piece too. It's just just really um festive sounding. I think I I'm not a scholar of Spanish folk dances, but I believe these this movement is based on either the the Seguidilla or uh the Sevillana uh kind of um folk dance. And it reminds me forcibly of the piece by Albanus from Suite Española called Sevilla. Uh, it's, I think, in the same key, and uh, it has a very similar kind, you know, the little accompaniment figures go, Sevilla also has these sorts of things, and it's also got this very festive-sounding melody and a high register and so forth. Do you, do you draw that um, comparison at all, Tony? Uh, yeah, no, I totally see where you're coming from with that. And, uh, yeah, uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about it before I play the excerpt? No, I mean, I guess not. It just, it's, um, it's a really cool part, you know? (laughs) Let's hear it. (laughs) All right, here it is.
So we just heard uh, the Allegretto from the Sonatina of Toroba. Now we're going to move on to the second excerpt, which is um, also one of John's, from mm-hmm. the second movement, the Andante. And uh, a couple things um, that I sort of jotted down about this excerpt. Um, I thought, in my opinion, that his tempo sounds just right. Um, I think for me, for this movement, um, uh, again, the, uh, crystal clear bell like tone is just awesome. And it has just the, uh, right, I think attitude. So just the right sort of laid back swagger to it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's, that's what I kind of like the sort of attitude of this. And, um, I also like, uh, well, it's, it's, it's kind of rather impressionistic, almost sort of Debussy, like this movement mm-hmm. yeah it's it's just incredibly beautiful yeah it's um it's hard to know what else to say it's so beautiful uh he plays it so well and uh, the tone is great he really separates the different parts beautifully uh and there's a there's a part oh maybe halfway and th- it may be actually further along than this excerpt has i don't recall but where the melody switches to the bass and it has um stuff going on in the upper voices that 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 kind of thing can be difficult to pull off elegantly but he does so and um, it's it's terrific playing Okay, so the next excerpt is from uh, Augustine Barrios, his La Catedral. Is that La Catedral. Catedral. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to listen to an excerpt from the third movement of that piece, uh, which the third movement is Allegro Solemna. Um, so, this movement, um, very Bach inspired. I would say um, almost like one of Bach's sort of fast and virtuosic uh, gigs that come at the end of so many of his suites for solo instruments. Um, And uh, this, I don't know, the music is almost, well, it's not almost, it's, it's like relentless. I mean, it really is. It's just kind of like (laughs) um, uh, 
a constant stream, unrelenting stream of sort of uh, virtuosic playing. Um, well, that's where his nod to Bach is. I mean, yeah. uh, Bach, Bach, of course, is known for this perpetual motion quality to his music, especially in fast movements. And uh, this is this takes the lead of Bach having the main little motif of the piece doesn't change a whole lot. Uh, he just well, it, it, it's based on a, a short melodic motif of some kind that just keeps being spun out in different variations throughout the end of the movement. Uh, that wasn't the most elegant way to say it, but uh, <laughs> the, the the point is that the whole movement is based essentially on a very small amount of melodic material that is uh, worked to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, so in this excerpt, like in the other, the the first two excerpts that we played, you know, we got to really hear Azabajic's ability to play just beautifully, you know, play just beautiful melodies and have beautiful tone and all that stuff. And this, you'll really get to hear his virtuosity. And um, really, he, he uh, takes that virtuosity... And um, he's still able to play, you know, super fast and super clean without really sacrificing any of the energy of the of the work. Um, he has a a beautiful tone, no matter how fast he's playing. I mean, like yeah. even the fastest, shortest note, he never sacrifices the the quality of his sound. It's it's an astounding performance, really. Uh huh. And that's it's very hard to do. I mean, on classical guitar a lot a lot of times you know when you start to push yourself and uh play faster and busier music uh, a lot of times and many players many of the best players their tone um either well i don't want to use the word suffers but i mean it just it changes um and uh yeah like you said Azabadi somehow is able to retain this same bell-like clear tone no matter you know no matter how fast he's playing. So that's... Got excellent nails, <laughs> I would guess. Yes. What's so... interesting to me, this is a an unusual tempo marking, wouldn't you say? Allegro solemne? Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it seems, seems kind con- of... Yeah, contradictory a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that... what it means. I mean, maybe... Um, maybe it's supposed to denote kind of a... <laughs> I don't know. It Reli- is religious in a cathedral. fervor or something? I don't know. It, the piece is called the cathedral. Uh, the second movement is called Andante Religioso, the uh, religious Andante. Uh, I suppose he's trying to uh, sort of give you a a mindset for playing the movement. You know, it is fast, but it's not a festive kind of fast. It's a solemn, serious kind of fast. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does I guess make that's sense. After. Um, let's listen to it. Yeah, let's listen to it. So here it is, um, the uh, third movement of Barrios. Why don't you say La it, Catedral. Thank you, John. Here it is. Yeah.
Okay, I messed it up right there. I, oh, I, I lose I lose track of it uh, after a little bit. So you sacrificed your tone for speed. You know what? Um, there was a time <clears throat> when I first met Andrew Zone. We got to put an Andrew Zone CD on here sometime too. Uh, okay. Remember when I when I first met Andrew Zone in Austin, he was he put on this incredible display where he was practicing on the Bach Prelude Fugue and Allegro, and on the Allegro while he was playing it, he also solfeged it at the same time. Wow! At tempo, at tempo, solfeged it while he was playing it. It was unbelievable. <laughs> so maybe we could get Andrew on to just solfege some music. Oh, that would be great. I could put some beats behind it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, I would, he could probably take a piece like this and just solfege it, and it would sound beautiful. Okay, well, that's something to keep in mind, definitely, for uh, <laughs> for the future. But, uh, we'll do a show called uh, Stupid Guitarist Tricks. Oh, that would and... be awesome. <laughs> Have him solfeging and doing whatever else. Yeah, I mean, between... You and I, I think we know enough guitarists to uh, to fill a show like that. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, you have something from the Ponce Sonatina Meridional. Yes. So uh, yes, the next excerpt from Manuel Maria Ponce, uh, his Sonata Meridional. Um, so a little Son- bit of Sonatina now. Oh, Sonatina. Yeah. Is it? Am Sonatina I... Meridional, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm wrong. Um, it is Sonatina Meridional. Um, okay, so a little background information on Ponce. Um, he was born December... Oh, and by the way, if you'd like um, some background information on Barrios, you can go... We really covered that um, in a lot of detail on the last... Laureate show that we did, uh, the one on Steve Kostelnik's CD. So um, if you'd like to hear a little bit about Barrios, you know, go back and listen to that episode. Um, Okay, so Ponce. He was born December 8th, 1882 and died April 24th, 1948. Uh, And I want to, you know, a lot of this music that we're talking about was written sort of kind of in the early 20th century. Um, A lot of it by Spanish composers or Latin American composers. Uh, Ponce was Mexican. And um, I wanted to read this little quote I found from uh, Villalobos talking about Ponce. And, um, okay, so Villalobos says, uh, I remember that I asked him at the time if the composers of his country were as yet taking an interest in native music as I had been doing since 1912, and he answered that he himself had been working in that direction. It gave me great joy to learn that in this distant part of my continent there was another artist who was arming himself with the resources of the folklore of his people in the struggle for the future musical independence of his country. And so I I wanted to read that uh, little quote because... I think it sums up really well what a lot of these composers were trying to do at the time. Um, you know, they're coming out of the 19th century. Classical music is sort of 
um, heavily steeped in sort of German Austrian tradition. Um, and uh, so what you have during this time is a lot of composers in, in different countries struggling to find their own identity for their own, you know, for classical music and how they're doing that is uh, bringing in influences from their own native cultures. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And so at the time, you know, this was uh, kind of a new concept. And uh, as we can hear from that uh, little uh, quote from Villalobos, it was uh, apparently still rather unusual to find like-minded composers that were trying to, you know, do the same thing. So mm-hmm. this is, yeah. of course, called nationalism. Yeah, and um, there's a, a musicologist wrote an interesting. A uh, musicologist named uh, Carl Dahlhaus. He has a book called 19th Century Music. And when he was talking about uh, nationalism in there, he made an interesting point, which was that nationalist composers, by turning to the folk music of their own countries, made themselves internationally appealing. See what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. Ponce and Villa Lobos, by making his music sound Brazilian and Ponce by making his speak of Mexico immediately made their own music much more interesting to audiences in say Germany or Italy who don't want to hear a composer from Mexico trying to write like them. They want to hear music that sounds uh, exotic to them. Exactly. So it it gave their music this incredible international appeal by turning to their own um, native sources. Yeah, I mean, one uh, more recent example could be uh, like the I have mentioned before the Astor Piazzolla. He, he's a more recent composer um, that gained international fame. You know, writing classical music based on his own, you know, his own music Nueva from Tango. Argentina. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so that's kind of you know what I want to use to set up this piece. And, um, you know, it's heavily Spanish, but um, there are uh, some Mexican tinges, you know, in Ponce's music. You know, it's definitely um, informed, you know, by his home uh, of Mexico. And um, <clears throat> another thing, uh, uh, well, this this movement, I'm sorry, is the last movement of uh, the Sonatina. Sonatina? Sonatina. <laughs> called uh, Fiesta. And um, so it has the obvious connotations of what you would hear at a party. It's got a lot of uh, flamenco-influenced playing in the piece, a lot of rosciados and stuff like that. Um, I like the kind of surprise, I don't know that this is what I call the kind of surprise chord that you get towards the end. Um, There's some kind of, you know, secondary dominant of the dominant or something but anyway um that that comes up towards the end of the song that uh eventually resolves to the dominant and um it's just it's just kind of a nice i don't know a nice cool little unexpected surprise to the piece yep i I don't really have much to add to that uh i would i would say one more thing about ponce himself though in that his most famous work is a little song called estrellita little star 
and uh, it's been arranged for like 400 or so different performing media from wind ensemble through orchestra to like, I don't know, banjo, whatever. And uh, it's one that he did not secure proper copyright for and so never got any royalties. His, his most famous of all of his pieces, he never got any royalties for it. Wow. It's a very sad tale. Mm-hmm. And on that note, let's listen to Fiesta. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we're moving on to the next piece, and apparently you and I both really like this piece. I love because, this piece. <laughs> because between the two of us, uh, with the excerpts that we chose, we've got the entire piece covered. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, this, of course, is the Sonata by Antonio Jose. And let me just give you a little bit of background on Jose. Um a very tragic story, I have to say. Um, Antonio Jose he was born in Burgos in Spain, uh, December 12, 1902, and died October 11, 1936, at the age of 34. Um, and uh, he was, when he was alive and, and working during the short time that... Um, that he had, um, he was widely recognized. Maurice Ravel apparently called him the Spanish composer of our century. Um, Mm. And uh, he was very, very active, um, a very prolific composer, not just for guitar, but for all all different uh, kinds of medium. Um, And apparently in 1936, he was executed by the Spanish fascists who were going around um, executing, you know, artists, yeah. people who they they thought were di- dissonant. I mean, he <clears throat> he was executed along with his friend, poet uh, Federico Garcia Lorca. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's a, a really awful situation. I mean, uh, Federico Garcia Lorca also was pretty young. And, uh, you know, thankfully, a number of composers and artists and intellectuals and whoever could escaped Spain during this time. I mean, Manuel de Falla is one of them. He went to Argentina to escape the fascist regime. Uh, But um, Antonio Jose, Federico Garcia Lorca were not so fortunate. Yeah, so um, it's one reason why this piece, this uh, sonata, this incredible piece uh, sat unknown for what about fifty years? 
maybe more. I didn't know the piece until about two or three years ago when uh, Nicholas uh, Seraldo, a guitarist who now teaches at um, Southern Miss, is it? Let me see. Uh, I wanted to make a note of this to be sure. Yeah, University of Southern Mississippi, Nick Seraldo. He he did his doctorate at Texas, but he came here and played a concert, and on his program was a sonata by Antonio Jose. I had never even heard of Antonio Jose, and I, I pride myself on knowing the literature pretty well. And so I downloaded the sonata in advance of his concert so I could hear it and was just blown away by the, the quality of it. What's What's so great to me it's very, very well composed. Uh, Antonio Jose was not a guitarist. He's he only wrote one work for guitar. It's this one, and it's a huge work. It's one of these like, um, you know, if you go to a concert sometimes and they play all these little bitty pieces, it's like you get nothing but hors d'oeuvres, and there's no entree. Well, yeah. this is an entree. <laughs> uh, it's um, what twenty minutes or so long. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a sonata for guitar. I'd say almost more in the tradition of like a Beethoven piano sonata. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, a big meaty work for guitar. You know, guitar, uh, classical guitar, it just doesn't have as many pieces like that as say piano does. Not nearly as many. Yeah. You know? And so that's why it's so valuable for us to have this one by a composer who's not a guitarist. This this makes a difference. I mean, you would think it might be an advantage for a composer to be a guitarist because they could write very well for the instrument. But sometimes that also places restraints upon them. Uh, they would tend to do things that are, you know, easier to play on the guitar. Whereas a, a composer like this or like Benjamin Britten or Toroba or anyone like that, who doesn't play the guitar, they just write great music and leave it to the guitarist to figure out how they're going to manage to play it. Mm-hmm. And so you often end up with higher quality music that way. Yeah, and this piece was written in 1933 for Regino Sanz de la Maza, who we talked about on the last Laureate series when we did Kostelnik's mm-hmm. CD and heard some of his music. Um, so I would guess that Rahino had a big hand in doing exactly what you're talking about, sort of taking what yeah, he would, Jose wrote, you know, making it work on guitar and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But He would help him with the editing of it and tell him if something is just impossible, he would tell him. But uh, a conscientious guitarist will try very hard to do what the composer uh, originally wants before yeah. saying, look, I'm sorry, I just I can't play this. <laughs> right, so... Yeah. Uh, okay, so the first excerpt is from the first movement, um, Allegro Moderato. And, uh, yeah, this was um, uh, one of your picks, so I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll just let you take this one. Right, well, my two picks kind of go together. It's the first and the fourth movement, but they they are related. To me, this was like, when I first heard the piece, this was the coolest thing about it for me, was this beautiful way that Antonio Jose brings back the uh he he kind of rounds out the entire sonata in the fourth movement by bringing back an earlier theme and what he brings back is the second theme from the first movement a a sonata form movement like this first movement has two main themes a first and a second and his second theme is this kind of unusual um chordal leap sort of thing it uh, I don't really want to sing, but it goes, beep, boom, 
beep, boom, something like that It with these chords. And then it has these arpeggiated figures that end up in uh, harmonics. It's really, really beautiful, but it's an unusual theme. And it's a wonderful moment when in the fourth movement, he brings that theme back. And so the the excerpt from the first movement that I chose was really to set up the excerpt from the fourth movement so that uh, you know the listeners could hear where the theme came from that he was bringing back in the fourth movement. So maybe we should listen to the two excerpts right in a row. I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, we can do that. We can we can we can totally do that. So um, you mean just. Uh, just play the first one and then have it immediately go into the fourth movement. We could uh, talk a little bit, but just say, okay, that was the the second theme of the first movement, and now let's hear how he brings that back sure. in the in the fourth movement to round out the sonata. Okay, so uh, let's do that. Let's listen to the this excerpt from the first movement, and then uh, we'll be back at right after to talk about the excerpt from the fourth movement. Okay, so we just heard an excerpt from the first movement of Antonio Jose's Sonata for Guitar, played there by Denis Azabagish. Bajik? How do you I, say it? Do you I, know how to say it, for I, real? Well, um, I've always heard Azabajik, so... Azabajik, okay. I could be totally wrong, but that's what I've okay. heard. That's what I've always heard, so... <laughs> okay. And uh, we played that excerpt because it is ex- the, the second theme from the first movement is what the composer decides to bring back in the fourth movement to give a sort of uh, motivic coherence to the sonata as a whole. So let's listen now to the excerpt from the fourth movement where this theme returns. Thank you. 
right. So uh, that was the final movement, the Allegro con Brio uh, of the Jose Sonata. And uh, I mean, one thing that I <laughs> that kind of amazes me about that last movement uh, before we get into talking about um, recurring themes and stuff is just uh, how much variety he <laughs> uh, sort of crams in to such a small time frame. Uh, yeah. One piece. Yeah. The fourth movement is kind of a, it's a virtuoso showpiece kind of movement with the, the same sort of perpetual motion that, that La Catedral finale had, or at least it seems that way. Well, Oh, I remember. Yeah. It's got that, uh, on the like the chords followed uh-huh. immediately by really fast stuff. That's hard to do. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean to change from big loud strumming to uh, fast scales, it's very difficult a physical adjustment to make with your hand. And uh, Dennis does it incredibly well. Uh-huh. And then it contrasts that really aggressive sounding fast stuff with the recurrence of that second theme. Um, Somehow it doesn't seem like it ought to make sense, but somehow it does. It's really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what about the second and third movements? Um, yeah. So we'll. I guess we'll play the second and third movements uh, now, and that's sort of um, uh, Jose s- uh, sort of had these outer movements, like you said, um, this uh, almost prelude-like first movement and then this virtuosic sort of uh uh i don't know grand finale type last movement that were sort of related like you said used uh musical themes from the first movement uh the the middle two movements are these dance movements and uh the second movement entitled minuetto and then the third movement titled uh pavana triste lento so this um, sort of pavan um, it's interesting that he's taking these dances from kind of different time periods so the the minuetto would be sort of a baroque and the pavan would be sort of a renaissance more of a sort of renaissance dance mm-hmm. uh, but these are very loosely used um, much like your pieces John I mean very um, stylized highly stylized mm-hmm. dances um, the uh, second movement, the the minuetto. Uh, I mean, other than being in triple meter, it's pretty far from a minuet in the traditional sense of the term. Uh, yeah, you want to say something? Oh, yeah, I was just going to say that uh, the the minuetto, the main theme there, strikes me as very, very closely related to the second theme that we've just been talking about of the first movement that's then brought back in the fourth movement. It has precisely the same articulations that yeah. bump, bah, bump, bah, that kind of thing. So uh, I think he is using his thematic material very thoroughly here, casting it in different guises and uh, really making the whole sonata seem unified that way. Uh huh. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, the the entire sonata is incredibly unified um, thematically. Well, you know, just a testament to what a great composer this guy was and uh, what a great contribution he made to the guitar repertoire. But um, anyway, in this movement, um, I noticed like one 
kind of device that he uses a lot in, throughout the entire sonata is that he'll use a series of repeated musical phrases. So, so it'll be sort of like this um, musical idea, musical phrase, and then it'll get repeated again, and then it'll get repeated again, and it'll be a little bit expanded on, mm. and then repeated again. I mean, he does this kind of over and over in all the movements. And, I mean, it's a great little device to sort of build these little mini, um, almost dramatic moments that kind of move toward like a a sort of a mini climax or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, anyway, I I don't know. I just thought that uh, in this particular excerpt is a good example of that. And I just thought, again, Azabajic does a beautiful job sort of conveying these, um, these small sort of dramatic emotional uh, pushes, I guess. Have you uh, have you contacted Dennis, or do you know him? I don't know him at all. I mean, when I uh, when I put the uh, podcast up, I will send him and drop a note. him an email, yeah, and just to let him know. But uh, yeah, he'd probably be glad to know. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he would. Um, but yeah, I've I've never met him or anything. He did go to IU, um, but he apparently. Oh. Um, not while I was there. I think he left okay. like literally like I think he left like maybe a year before I I got there or something. Mm. But you know Nick Seraldo went to IU also. Did you know him? No, but the name okay. sounds familiar. Okay. He's good, man. He's really really good. Uh when he came here and played, he did the Antonio Jose Sonata and all 12 etudes of Villa Lobos. Oh wow. And a, I think a piece by Fernando Sor that was like 18 minutes long. I mean, he did three works, all of which were huge. <laughs> wow. And uh, it was an incredible recital. It was un- really unusual nowadays to hear a guitarist do that sort of thing. Normally, they'll play a bunch of character pieces or right, something. Right, right. Uh, but he played three massive works, and it was just awesome. He's great. You should look him up on... Uh, YouTube or some I don't know if he's got any CDs out or not. But he teaches at uh, University of Southern Mississippi. How do you spell yeah. his last name? C I R A L D O. Okay. Nicholas Seraldo. He's one of Adam's students, and he also studied with uh, Leisner and Elliot Fisk up at New England Conservatory. When did he study with and Adam? Adam. He just finished, I think, in two thousand five or six. Oh, okay. Huh. Very cool. Yeah, I didn't meet him until he was already done, and he he came over here uh, for that concert. But he was he was really good, very musical, uh, really solid technically, and, and a super nice guy too. Awesome. Well, yeah, I will look him up, and I suggest that all the listeners look him up as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm just. Are we leave. recording still? <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm just. I'm just going to leave that in the show. You know. Oh, okay. Um. Uh. Yeah. I have no problem. Uh, giving exposure to anybody who deserves it. So. <laughs> put a link to him in the show notes there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um. All right. So that was the minuetto, and now we're going to move to the third movement, the Pavana Triste Lento. Um. So again, here he takes you know another kind of ancient dance form, and uh, uh, it's very highly stylized, uh, like I said. Uh, in this excerpt, what I thought was cool about this particular excerpt that I pulled, um, we're going to hear the same melody in three different ways. So he almost takes you know these different melodies and puts them in different guises. Um, so almost like a theme and variation, um, although this, this movement is not a strict theme and variation, but it's almost treated like that. Uh, the first variation that we'll hear is, um, the melody with, along with these chords, these big chords on downbeat and kind of like, uh, heavy declamation, these, these heavy chords on downbeats. Uh, then it moves to the melody in this sort of really delicate two-part counterpoint, almost like a almost renaissance sort of two-part counterpoint. And then it moves to the melody in a more freely accompanied version, almost jazz-like accompanied, accompanied mm. version. Um, so you get the, the same melody in these three successive variations that I just thought was really cool. So, okay, so let's get into the next couple excerpts, which will be our last two excerpts of this podcast, um, which are taken from Carlos Rafael Rivera's Whirler of the Dance. So a little background information on Carlos Rivera. He was born August 18th, 1970 in Washington, D.C., and I'm not totally sure about 
his childhood, um, why he moved around so much. But he it says in his bio that he grew up in Guatemala, Costa Rica, Panama, Miami, and Los Angeles. So, wow. yeah, he had a big tour around uh, Latin America. And, of course, that has no doubt heavily influenced his uh, his his music. Um, and uh, this piece, okay, so I wanted to tell a little story about this piece because, um, and this has to do with the Guitar Foundation of America and their competition. And uh, what happened was um, during this time, you know, when uh, everybody was preparing for this competition, it was 1998, and I was a student, you know, you and I were both students still at the University of Texas in mm-hmm. Austin, and so just like, you know, I told with the, uh, when we were talking about the Kostelnik CD, uh, there were several, you know, guitar students at the time preparing for the competition, so, you know, I got to hear these pieces, the the required pieces that they were supposed to play for the competition, I got to, I got to hear them play these pieces, you know, week in and week out at our repertoire class every Wednesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, the Guitar Foundation of America had a competition for composers where the composer, uh, you know, you would submit a new piece of music for classical guitar. And the winner of that competition would have their piece literally every competitor was required to play this piece at the competition. Uh, this is an incredible opportunity for young composers um, to have, you know, literally hundreds of guitarists uh, all playing their piece. And, and some uh, of the best young guitarists in the world, too. The, yeah, exactly. Some of the best young guitarists in the world. And uh, it's a competition, so they really have to play this piece, you know. So um, a lot of attention is given to your to your music by these players. And uh, what ended up happening was, for whatever reason, I mean, uh, I don't know the whole situation, so I have a little bit of speculation here, but um, what happened with this competition was that over the years, uh, I think the results were a little inconsistent uh, in my view. Um, I know the... Um, I think the year before this piece was chosen, uh, I, I should say, I should preface this by saying that this was the, 1998 was the final year that they had this competition. So, um, Carlos, the composer's competition, the compo yeah. the composer's competition. So 1998 yeah. was, I mean, uh, Carlos Rivera's piece, Whirler the Dance was the last winner of this competition. Um, and after this, they, they did away with this competition. Now I'm not sure why they did away. I don't know why they did away with this competition, but, uh, I know the year before I'll never forget this piece. I'll never, ever forget this piece. I mean, you know, I'm just speaking from my own opinion. Uh, but the piece the previous year, I believe it was the previous year was, um, downright awful. Um, (laughs) it was a piece called. A two, a, I don't know what how you. Oh, the one A two with the big D in the middle. Yes, I don't know if you said A two or A two D or I don't know. I but remember it, that it, one. It was written as A two, all, all lowercase, but the last, 
D E or D was like capitalized. Anyway, um, I just remember that it was this sort of, you know, wishy-washy atonal thing, um, that went along in the, in, in the very middle of the piece, the guitarist had to actually stop playing and sing the pitch D on the word D. So they would, they would, you know, be playing all this stuff and then they would stop and go D and then uh, keep playing. And, you know, so this was the piece and it was, uh, I mean, I'm sorry to, you know, if you're the composer of a two D listening to this thing, I'm sorry. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings or whatever, but piece was just terrible. So, um, anyway, I don't know if this, you know, these mixed results had anything to do. I don't know if GFA was like, you know, uh, we're tired of getting these kind of pieces. I don't know. This is just speculation. Like I said, I don't know why, what happened, but anyway, um, w- how it worked, you know, fate, right. The, the very last year that this, uh, competition existed, they get in, in my memory, the best piece that they'd ever gotten by a long way. Um, mm. which was Carlos Rivera's Whirler the dance. Um, and, uh, so, uh, that's how, you know, that's how I discovered this piece and that's how I discovered Carlos Rivera's music. And that's how many, many guitarists discovered Carlos Rivera. And I think it gave, um, a nice boost to his career as a composer. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I kind of hope that someday cool. GFA might bring this back that's that's my whole point of the story but yeah that's pretty cool you know i uh i hung around all these same guys down there i don't remember this piece so much as you do uh i have a little anecdote about the gfa composers competition though sure which is i mean it's not a very long way it's just that i entered that competition in 1996 and uh, the piece i wrote for it was my elegy and fugue on a nepali melody and it did not win but uh, it later got published by like, Productions Dawes anyway. So uh-huh. um, it, it at least gave me the impetus to write a new piece of some substance. You know, it's about a six-minute, fairly serious and difficult work. And uh, I I needed that kind of prompting to do it at the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I was I was kind of sad, you know, this that this went away because, you know, I started music school in 96. And so by the time that I had some pieces that I felt were worth submitting, you know, the competition had been eliminated. So mm. yeah, it was kind of, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it, it was a, it was a bad thing for composers to have this competition go away because I think just like you said, you know, it was, it's a great thing for the people who won the competition and it was a great incentive, you know, for young composers to, to write music, you know, for the guitar. So, yeah. um, any, anyway, so, uh, uh, to get back to Carlos and uh, his piece, um, the uh, the first excerpt that we're going to play from Whirl of the, of the Dance comes from the first movement, the prelude. the the move uh, The piece is in three movements, and um, he uh, takes this almost fanfarish motive. So this motive that almost sounds like a sort of a brass fanfarish sort of motive and in kind of true prelude fashion sort of runs it through the musical ringer. You know, he, he, uh, he runs it around the guitar through, uh, different permutations, you know, different transpositions, 
this kind of thing in sort of true prelude fashion. Um, and uh, it's just an awesome way to to sort of open this piece as this kind of introduction. It kind of wakes you up, and uh, it's, it's sort of like a, uh, kind of gets your attention with this motive. <laughs> just like the machinery can wake just you up like the bulldozer out there yeah <laughs> yeah so much like a bulldozer carlos's piece no i don't know but um <laughs> so maybe anyway yeah uh, never, i was gonna say maybe it's uplifting like a front-end loader oh exactly too. yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah much like heavy machinery this piece Exactly. Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, like I said, that's I mean, a good I, piece, man. It's a, I love it, and I mean, like I said, I, I heard the piece, you know, week in and week out. I can't remember who was playing it. I'm pretty sure Steve was, Klondike. I probably think Matt was Hensley. probably Matt, Matt Hensley. Yeah, Matt was probably playing it. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a testament to the piece that if you hear it like a billion times, and you still like it. Uh, that's that says something about it. I can say the year that I was judging the preliminary round of GFA in 2005, um, the set piece that year, I I wasn't crazy about it. In fact, I thought it was not very good at all. There were about three guitarists who played it well enough where they sold me on it. So now, can you explain for the listeners how like how this works now. So before this was referred to as the set piece, the one that, you know, won this competition. Now the set piece is, it's still a new piece, right? But I think it's newly commissioned. Like the, the GFA commissions some distinguished composer or some okay. person, some person they know uh, to write a new piece. And that is the set piece. They don't reveal it to the guitarists until something like six weeks before the competition. They all the guitarists get it at exactly the same time, so they have exactly the same amount of time to learn this piece that no one has ever seen before. And uh, that's you know that's a great challenge for the guitarist to uh, see what they can make of that piece in that amount of time. And some of the ones the the year I was judging, the the guy who won it and there was another guy a guy named Colin Davin who was a very good guitarist who did not win I think he made the finals but man he played the set piece beautifully and uh he made me see the piece in a way that I didn't know it was capable of being seen because I didn't think it was a very good piece really but uh, you know it just shows when a really talented performer commits to a yeah. piece like that fully they can really make it great 
Uh, do you want to, I mean, do you remember what the piece was or do you want to say? Or? I, I do. I, I, it was uh, a piece by Matthew Dunn, Appalachian Summer, I believe it was called. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I've got no, no problem with Matthew Dunn. He, I know him a little bit because we, our time at Texas overlapped. He mm-hmm. teaches at UT San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember that. Yeah. Um, and I know he's had some success as a composer, too. He's published a number of things and people play his music sometimes. So I, I, I don't really have any problem with it but i didn't like that piece very much yeah but there were three or four guitarists who played it beautifully and uh made it work for me yeah and i think this just gives more credence to my theory that they you know that they're targeting specific composers now for the set piece because they don't want another a2d yeah but anyway um um, okay so the last excerpt that we're going to play on this show uh, from the uh, great, great album uh, com- uh, composed, not composed, performed by Dennis Azabajic, uh, is the dance, the third movement of Whirler of the Dance of Carlos Rafael Rivera. And um, this movement, uh, again, is a very kind of exciting, virtuosic finale type movement. Uh, it starts with muted, these muted bass strings. And this is something I think, you know, you hear it a little bit in the classical guitar repertoire, but I think it, it's something you would normally hear in rock music, like rock guitar, mm-hmm. um, the way, especially the way that he does it in this piece. And I think Rivera does come from a strong rock music background. Um, in fact, if you go to his website, which I believe is riveramusic.net, um, you will see that he not only writes classical music, but music and all sorts of other media and popular music, rock music. Um, so he, he obviously has a strong background in rock music and you can really hear it in this movement it has a real rock spirit to it. Um, and an, another thing is uh, uh, the melody. So uh, this melody over this busily moving accompaniment uh, it's kind of like the bass, rhythm, guitar, and drums all in one for, you know, for classical guitar. It's really exciting. And um, again, you know, Azabajic, this could get potentially in the hands of the wrong guitarist. It could get potentially confused and muddy, I think. It could. Uh, because there's so much going on. But, you know, just like in Azabajic, you know, he stays consistent. Um, it's it's just so super clear. Um you know, and the tone is, is just wonderful. Yeah, I have a hard time wrapping my head around this uh, when I hear. I mean, I'm a pretty experienced musician and a you know a competent guitarist, and I can normally, when I hear something, imagine how it's done. But this one, it you know, it goes by so fast, and there's so much happening that I I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. It's impressive, and the uh, the pizzicato stuff. What you were talking about at the beginning with the muted palm and stuff, but I love that. It's I've I've always hated having to play it because I'm terrible at it. it it's really hard to do. It's you hard to do. Obviously, didn't play enough Metallica in your youth. Well, that's different. You've got a pick in your hand. <laughs> no, um, that's true. If you if you've got a pick in your hand, it's easier to do. If you if you're trying to mute the strings with the palm of your hand and then play with your fingernails, it's really hard to get a good angle on the strings. I, I find it very difficult, and so it makes yeah. it all the more impressive. Yeah, that, that's um. 
That is. That's one thing. That's interesting that you picked that out from just hearing it, because that's one thing that I distinctly remember from seeing all the guitarists play this piece before the competition is exactly the the position they had to get their hand in to do this initial palm muting. It's really Mm -hmm. they really had to get their hand in a really strange kind of foreign position, you know, for a classical guitarist to be able to do this. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And another thing, another uh thing I have to say, an, another more more props to Dennis is that um this is one of the hardest things if you're a musician, especially a classical musician to do is to take a piece of music that is brand new, has never been played by anyone. So uh the performer, you know, doesn't have a reference. This this piece doesn't right. exist, you know, in the world yet, really. It's just on the on the score, which is on a piece of paper, there's no recording that you can go listen to for as a reference. So you just have to look at this score and interpret this brand new piece that nobody has interpreted before. And uh, it's one of the most difficult things to do in classical music. It, t- it takes a really special talent to be able to do that um, and and to be able to do it as well as, as Abajic did it here. And you, you have to make it your own piece, uh, basically, I mean, you know this as a composer that you want your performers to make it theirs, or else it's not going to work. Um, I mean, like, yeah. at least like, that's the way I feel. Like when, like what Matthew Hensley has done with my songs, and some folks have done with your, like the the folks at Indiana did with Eleven, and um, you know, by making it theirs, they sell it much better. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um yeah so let's let you he, guys hear this the last movement from Whirler of the Dance this is dance cool i'm listening to my headphones now that is cool i wonder where uh carlos rivera is now 
He's my age. He was born in 1970. Yeah. That's he, same he's, age in, he's in L.A. He okay. teaches at USC, and he went to USC and teaches yeah. at USC. And um, I think he, I think he does other things in the in that area, like studio work. And I think mm-hmm. he's he's done some work on some films and things films, like that. And stuff. Yeah. yeah, you should drop him an email too when the show's released. Yeah, I've actually talked to yeah. him a few times over email. Um, he's okay. a really he's a really nice guy. So I mean, yeah, I'm definitely gonna going to uh, drop him an email. Um, yeah, I've never met him, and I, I don't even remember seeing his name before. Uh, before working on this, you know, getting ready for the podcast here, but man, he's a good composer. Yeah, he is. Um, and uh, okay, so I guess it's time to take out the show. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I didn't know if that was it. Okay. And then you yeah, did yeah. silence. Or... <laughs> okay. So that was Dance from Whirler of the Dance by Carlos Rafael Rivera. It was our final excerpt for this number two Laureate series show. And uh, again, we want to thank our good friend and all the cool parts favorite, John Culp for hey. coming on the podcast again with us and it's always yeah, a pleasure for having me. to have you it was fun again i'm going to guess that you don't want to plug anything get ready for all the cool parts idol oh yeah you know what um i don't think we have anything for all the cool parts idol this week oh bummer yeah yeah i think uh People out there, you need to submit. What's wrong with you people? Come I, on, I send don't. something in for all the cool parts idle. Exactly. Um, th- yeah, thank you, John. I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll replace my regular thing with just that, <laughs> what you just said. Um, <laughs> so you can, uh, uh, you can play one of my uh, Dickinson songs or something. Oh, maybe I will do that. Uh, yeah. You know, I have the um, recordings that... Uh, Daniel and, and Julie did. Mm-hmm. Do you have uh, the ones that I got Matt Hensley's ones on my website? Yeah, whatever, yeah, whichever you would uh, prefer. I guess we can talk about that afterwards, and then yeah. all you listeners will find out which version that we're gonna play. But yeah, so I'll do that. You know, in lieu of a, uh, in lieu of submissions um, for all the cool parts idol this week, we will just play some songs by Jonathan Culp. Cool man. Yes. Thanks. Um, and oh, I'm so happy to play those songs because they're great songs. You know, I love those songs. Thanks, um, yeah. Um, so, um, again, thanks John for coming on and, uh, hopefully you can join us again the next time we do one of these, maybe next time we'll pick a laureate series CD. That is something other than guitar. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, We'll see. Um, yeah. So, um, thanks to all of you and I'll be back after the, uh, after this to uh, take us out. Thanks, John. You bet. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's All the Cool Parts Idol. And as you just heard, this is kind of a, an unexpected All the Cool Parts Idol. Um, as I said, we didn't have any submissions this week for this segment. And so originally I was not going to do an All the Cool Parts Idol this week, but our guest Jonathan Culp offered up some of his own pieces, which I am more than happy to play these pieces uh, because they're really great. Um, The recording that I chose to use is the recording by guitarist and singer Matthew Hensley. 
And this is really special, really special recording because it's the only one that I know of that is a classical guitarist performing art songs. So, you know, songs for singer and classical guitar all by himself. So he'll sing and play the guitar at the same time. Now, we've all seen um, plenty of rock guitarists and popular music guitarists do this. You're thinking, what's, you know, so what? What's the big deal? Um, This music is, uh, the guitar parts for this music, uh, they're, they're not intended for a person to play the guitar parts and sing because the guitar parts are quite involved. And um, I've actually seen Matt perform these live. Um, I saw him do it at uh, the Guitar Foundation of America convention in 2005. And uh, I was, uh, I'll just admit it, I was almost moved to tears by his performance. It was, um, it was quite an amazing performance, Um, not just for the novelty of someone singing and playing guitar, but he really takes this seriously and Matt's the kind of uh, person, the kind of performer that has an amazing attention to detail, to musical detail, and really puts everything that he has into these, uh, into the music that he plays. And um, so this recording is from Matt uh, Matthew Hensley's CD, uh, and I will put the, the information for the CD and for a uh, website for Matt in the show notes that you guys can go look at. So we're going to be listening to two songs from the five-song cycle of John's called Dickinson Songs. And uh, these are settings of poems by reclusive poet Emily Dickinson. We are going to be listening to the second... No, I'm sorry, the third song and the fourth song. Um the third song being uh, on a poem called I'm Nobody, and the fourth song on a poem called I Had a Guinea, as in a, like a guinea pig. Um, so you'll, you'll be able to hear these songs and uh, how inventive uh, and just lyrical and beautiful John's composition, John's setting of these songs are, and uh, Matt's uh, just amazing performances of these songs. So uh, without... Further ado, I'm just going to play them one after the other. Jonathan Culp's Dickinson songs will start off with I'm Nobody, and then we'll conclude with I Had a Guinea. And there's a pair of 
now public like a frog to tell your name the live long day to an admiring bog I performers, performing ensembles, and composers. All the Cool Parts podcast wants your music for All the Cool Parts Idol. If you're an emerging artist with a good quality recording and you'd like All the Cool Parts podcast to share it with the world, please email sound files and other details to allthecoolparts at gmail.com. Help me share your music with the world. And that is going to do it for this week's All the Cool Parts Idol number 15. As always, you can visit us on the web at allthecoolparts.blogspot.com. You can send us an email at allthecoolparts at gmail.com. 
You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Anthony Landman. And you can check out my website at anthonyjosephlandman.com. So thanks again to Jonathan Culp. We will have him on again for another one of these shows. And we will see you guys on the next episode. Thanks. Oh, and apparently, um, just doing some stuff on the web and, and looking at my the the fan page on um, Facebook for the podcast, I've apparently mm-hmm. gotten uh, several new listeners because of your appearance. Oh, that's cool! From I know uh, at least one. Yeah, from um, these people that that listen to Linux Outlaws. So. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know at least one of them, uh, a guy named Morton Jules something Johansson. Oh, yeah, he's made a bunch of uh, comments on the the fan page on Facebook. Cool. He's got yeah, he like seems six like a, names. He's, uh, I know, he's Dutch, I believe. He's living in Brooklyn. But uh, on the Linux Outlaws podcast, whenever he sends an email or something, they call him uh, Morton fucking long name. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I th- I totally think we should carry on that tradition and say thanks, <laughs> well, Morton fucking long name. <laughs> you just have to add the explicit tag to your podcast after that, or so. I'll just bleep out, you know, <laughs> f bomb. But... <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. He would get a kick out of that. <laughs> um, I don't know who the others are, but it uh, might be I don't know NY Bill or Lost in Bronx or Jez or people like that. Some of my friends on the Linux Outlaws community. Hmm. All right. Well, maybe I'll put this little thing in the outtakes uh, as a shout out to those people. And uh, I'm glad we have more singing from you. I, I should actually like uh, sync that up. Try to sync that up with the actual. <laughs> Fiesta, yay.